0: This morning we take up the Catechism's treatment of prayer, and we turn in Holy Scripture to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. I love the Lord. Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell gat hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation, And call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. We give our attention to the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's A 45, Questions and answers 116 through 119. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. And also, because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. What are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which he will hear? First, that we from the heart pray to the one true God only who hath manifested himself in his word for all things he hath commanded us to ask him. Secondly, that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in the presence of his divine majesty. Thirdly, that we be fully persuaded that he, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. What hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer he himself has taught us. What are the words of that prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning we take up a new subject in the Heidelberg Catechism which will occupy our attention until the conclusion of the Catechism's treatment of the cardinal doctrines of Scripture when we reach Lord's Day 52. The subject that we enter now is that of prayer. And specifically what has become known as the Lord's Prayer which, according to Luke 11, was given by Jesus in response to the plea of his disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. It's noteworthy that the disciples made that request. The Bible teaches already in the Old Testament that prayer marks the life of a Christian. In prayer, we express our dependence upon him who alone has given us life and who sustains that life. In prayer, we worship him whom we love. Yet our knowledge of God's transcendent holiness and our creatureliness and sinfulness makes us realize that to approach God in prayer is, is also to step on holy ground. We immediately sense our inadequacy. So we long to learn and to grow in our prayer life. But we take up this study, understanding that there's also danger in doing so. We're going to analyze the various aspects of prayer and the contents of the prayer that Jesus taught us. And the danger is that of doing a study in botany, for example, where you take a beautiful flower and you dissect all its parts, only to have that flower lie in shreds afterwards, having lost all its beauty. So we have to be careful. and We must not lose sight of the beauty of prayer as a whole and the tremendous gift that God has given us to have intimate fellowship with Him by way of this holy conversation. Lord's Day 45 is introductory to the consideration of the Lord's Prayer, so that today we consider generally the Christian's prayer life. Why is prayer necessary? That necessity is not one of mere compulsion, as if we are forced in some way to pray, or as a required ritual to be performed at set times each day, perhaps with an offering of incense. The necessity of prayer is a spiritual necessity, a necessity that rises from the desire of our hearts and out of love for God, our Father. We also need to consider what God requires in our prayers. As the Catechism puts it, what are the requisites of that prayer which is acceptable to God, in which he will hear. Remember, God alone has the right to require of us what is pleasing to him. And then we must consider also briefly what is to be the content of our prayers. That content is written. It's profound, reflective of our relationship to and dependence upon our Heavenly Father. So I call your attention this morning to the Christian's prayer life, noticing first of all its spiritual necessity, secondly its required character, and finally its profound content. The spiritual necessity of the Christian's prayer life is found in the fact that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As those who have been taken into the fellowship of his covenant life and who are not only loved by him, but who are dependent upon him. The catechism in asking the question, why is prayer necessary for Christians, answers first this way, because it's the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. That came to expression in Psalm 116, which we read earlier. What shall we render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And verse 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. That also shows us, because the psalmist speaks of worshiping Jehovah, paying his vows in the presence of God's people in the courts of the Lord's house, that shows us that prayer itself is an act of worship. Prayer is the act of consciously entering the Lord's presence and falling before Him, calling upon His name. Scripture uses several terms with reference to prayer. It speaks of prayer as supplication, bringing our concerns before God. It speaks of prayer in terms that express the idea of communing with God. Entering his sanctuary, it speaks of prayer in terms of intercession. But the term for prayer most often used in the New Testament speaks of prayer as an act of worship. Bowing toward him who is God alone. We approach him as empty vessels, longing to be filled by him who is the overflowing fountain of life and blessedness. So when we talk about prayer, we're speaking about the spiritual operation of the covenant bond between God and his people in Christ. Prayer is our new life in action, being drawn to him who gave us this life. It might take the form of praise and thanksgiving, the confession of our sins before him who alone can forgive our sins, or intercession on behalf of others, and more often than not, a combination of those. Prayer might also be expressed in times of joy as well as in times of sorrow, in health as well as as sickness or other afflictions. It might arise out of an atmosphere where there is largely peace, or it might come from a war-torn country or a place torn by strife. Prayer might be offered in the communion of saints, or it might be offered on our bedside or in a closet. It might be expressed verbally or in song or it might be the silent expression of the thoughts of the heart. Prayer is sweet communion with God. But as Psalm 116 verse 17 speaks of the sacrifice of thankfulness, so the Catechism speaks of prayer as the chief part of thankfulness. Thankfulness, let us understand, is never payback. It's never remuneration. Thankfulness is the expression of praise to God for his goodness to us. And as we learned back in Lord's Day 32, thankfulness is the expression of the life of Christ in us, Christ who has redeemed us from the devastating consequences of our fall into sin and who has renewed us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, filling us with his life and his love. That life comes to expression in gratitude to God for his blessing. But you also realize we are not naturally a thankful people. We are those who take things for granted. We are those who often act entitled. We were reminded of that a couple of years ago at this time when, when we suddenly had the privilege of gathering for worship taken from us for a few weeks we found out how much we have taken for granted the privilege of gathering together on the Lord's Day in fellowship with God's people in worship. But sadly, that one instance of being reminded of how much we take for granted can be multiplied. We take all kinds of things for granted. We get up in the morning and take for granted that night's rest and renewed health and strength. We often take for granted our health, especially in our youth. We take for granted our jobs, our wives, our husbands, the joys of family life so that we need to be reminded that God requires of us the expression of thankfulness. We are like those little children maybe handed some candy before church by some of our older members who have to be taught, wait a minute, what do you say? Oh yes, thank you. That's a picture of our lives. God has given us everything. Every heartbeat, every breath comes from Him. The health that we enjoy, the jobs He has given us to provide for our families and for the causes of His kingdom, all comes from God. But thankfulness arises from seeing the magnitude of God's grace and tender mercies in dealing with us. Not only are we completely dependent upon him physically and materially, but we come before him in prayer recognizing that we are sinners who stand before the infinitely holy and perfectly righteous God. Think again of the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism to this point. We began by considering the greatness of our sins and miseries. And the truth that we needed such a Savior who had to be God and man in unity of divine person. Only God could save us. We stood before the wonder of our deliverance in Jesus Christ and what that deliverance entails. That alone is what led us to the third part of the catechism, how we shall express our gratitude to God for such deliverance. Seeing the magnitude of God's riches and grace towards us in Christ Jesus we must certainly show in our walk and talk that we are thankful Christians. And while that gratitude to God must also be seen by those around us, it must be explicitly expressed to God our Father. Prayer is the chief part of that thankfulness. God has so willed that we live before him in prayer. Which is to say that God, who works in us that joyful thankfulness by his Holy Spirit, brings that to expression in us as prayer. He draws us to himself. He would have us enter his presence and speak with Him, and commune with Him as friend to friend. That's amazing. He's adopted us as His children, and that to the praise of the glory of His grace, Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. He would have us live, therefore, as His family members, those whom he loves and protects and for whom he provides. But in addition, we are told that God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. His grace and spirit are our two great needs. Now you understand that when the catechism speaks this way, the implication is that we're already partakers of God's grace and spirit. We cannot know the need for grace until he's already quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins. We don't pray for the Holy Spirit until he has already taken up his abode in us and given us the awareness of our need for an ever deeper consciousness of his presence and work. So the catechism here speaks of the way in which God draws us to himself and the Christian's subjective need to pray. When we read of God's grace and Holy Spirit, therefore, the reference is to all the blessings of salvation that are ours in Christ Jesus. God mercifully gives us consciously to enjoy and experience those blessings. But the way in which he draws us to himself and gives us to enjoy those blessings is through prayer. He works in us the exercise of our faith, which reaches out to Him in the expression of our complete dependence upon Him and our gratitude in approaching Him, knowing Him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. That's how God works in the hearts and lives of His people. And so the Lord exhorts us in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8 Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So the Lord draws us to himself and receives our humble praise our heartfelt expressions of, of our dependence upon him and our petitions for the needs of ourselves and others which petitions are in harmony with his will. The Catechism goes on to point out that there are requirements in the Christian's prayer life. Requirements that apply both to our approach to God and to the contents of our prayers. So question and answer 117 states that the first requisite of that prayer which is acceptable to God and which he will hear is this, that we, from the heart, pray to the one true God only, who has manifested himself in his word for all things he hath commanded us to ask of him. That points out that our only approach to God is through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because the knowledge that God requires of us is that true spiritual knowledge which is life eternal. The knowledge which knows not only that God is God, but that he's our God and faithful Father. Such knowledge doesn't come from his works in creation. It's true that in creation God manifests himself as God alone. He displays his eternal power and Godhead. Everything necessary to hold the sinner accountable and to leave him without excuse for his refusal to serve the creator who is blessed forever. Romans 1. But God doesn't reveal himself as our savior in creation. And it's only when we know God as the God of our salvation that we will worship Him and love Him as the one only true God. This knowledge comes only by means of the Gospel, of God's revelation of Himself in His Word as the Spirit applies that Word to our hearts. That's why there can be no true prayer when God's Word is rejected. Reject the Word and you're left with a God of your own imagination. Prayer is the expression of a true faith. The knowledge of faith that lays hold of what God has revealed to us in His Word. And who is this one only true God? This living God is the God of our salvation in Jesus Christ his only begotten son our lord he's the one who has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world he's the one who sent his son to reconcile us unto himself who has adopted us as his children and heirs and Therefore, who provides us with every good thing and averts all evil or turns it to our profit, as we read in our baptism form. Now think about what that means when it comes to prayer. You realize that in our day, many look to God as some kind of a beneficent being who lives to help people in the time of their need. They will call upon him in times of trouble, but not otherwise. But we know God, as he has revealed himself in his word, as absolutely sovereign. The one who rules all things for the sake of his church and the glory of his own name. So we pray for all things that he has commanded us to ask of him. And we approach him, first of all, with adoration. We must remember that prayer is the chief expression of thankfulness. We approach him who alone is the living God. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He not only created all things, but he upholds and governs all things according to his sovereign counsel and to serve his perfect, all-wise purpose. He's the God of harvest, therefore, but also the God of drought. He rules not only the lives of his people, but every living creature, including the myriads of angels and devils. He's the God who upholds our breath, but he's also the one who in perfect wisdom removes that health from us, drawing us to him in our affliction. He gives us peace, but he also governs war and strife. What shall we say then when we enter His presence in prayer? Let's remember when we pray, we are to enter His presence. The catechism calls attention to our need to pray from the heart. We need that reminder, don't we? But when from the heart we draw near to God and stand in his presence in prayer, what shall we say to him? Overwhelmed by the sense of our own sinfulness, what shall we say to him? Shall we look upon him as the God of our salvation, who gave his only begotten son for us? then we shall pour out our hearts before him in the sorrow of having offended him by our sins. When we stand in his presence with the diagnosis that we have just received, devastating to our sense of stability and our earthly desire not to have to face such affliction, what shall we say to God? Do we recognize that He alone is God who sent this affliction for our profit? Do we seek our healing subject to His perfect will? Do we confess before Him that whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord? Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord? When we stand in the midst of trouble. In a way that we would never choose. Do we cast our cares upon our Heavenly Father knowing that He cares for us? Do we pray for grace to say, Thy will be done. Give me the assurance that Thy will leads to the way in which all will be well. God hears when we call upon him in the knowledge of who he is and the covenant relationship in which we stand to him. Let's remember that, shall we? The second requirement is that we rightly and thoroughly know our need and misery, that so we may deeply humble ourselves in his in the presence of His divine majesty. Do we not approach God in our prayers, beloved? Indeed. There's an infinite chasm between us and Him that's bridged only by His profound mercy in sending us our mediator and intercessor by whom alone we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Romans 5, verse 2. His revelation to us in his word is not only the revelation of himself as the glorious God of our salvation, but it's the revelation that stands against the background of what he reveals concerning us and why it was necessary that he save us. We stand before his divine majesty. He's the one before whom even the angels cover their faces saying holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah 6 verse 3. He's the one whose eyes search the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we as creatures formed by the hands of this almighty God, have the shameless disrespect sometimes to imagine that God is there only to serve us and to walk, and we have the disrespect to walk in rebellion against Him. We need to know thoroughly We need to be reminded of the necessity, rightly and thoroughly, to know our need and misery that we approach God with contrite hearts. And the acknowledgement that we are dependent entirely upon His grace, deserving none of His blessings, how good he is to us. How good he is to receive us into his presence and to hear us as those whom he has made his own. When we we remember that, praying in true humility, that's also the antidote to our self-seeking when it comes to prayer. Then we pray as members of the body of Christ, the communion of saints. So Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. Then there's yet a third requirement necessary in our approach to God, namely, that we be fully persuaded that He, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will for the sake of Christ our Lord certainly hear our prayer as he hath promised us in his word. Belonging to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ is the confidence in which we may approach God in prayer. As we read in Hebrews 11 verse 6, He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Such confidence is only by faith laying hold of Christ. In his name we come fully persuaded that even though we are unworthy to ask of God anything, he will For the sake of Christ's merits, hear and answer our prayer. We come belonging to him who is our intercessor with the Father. So we can come fully persuaded that our Heavenly Father will hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. And so we can conclude our prayers with the Amen. It shall surely and truly and certainly be. Finally this morning, we shall see that the content of the prayer that Jesus taught us is profound. God has commanded us to ask of Him all things necessary for soul and body, True prayer is never that we impose our will upon God. There are many in our day who say, you can ask the Lord anything, and if you have enough faith, He will give it to you. But we don't approach God in prayer to get our desires, but to learn our Father's will and to pray accordingly. We pray for His grace and Holy Spirit. And we do so in answer to that prayer. We do so as the answer to that prayer that underlies all our gratitude and supplication. The Lord knows our needs, He knows all our needs. We have more needs than we can know about. We have physical needs as well as spiritual needs. And because we are dependent creatures, God would have us come to Him in time of need. When Psalm 37 verse 5 tells us, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass, God would have us come to him, rolling our burden off our shoulders onto him. That's the literal meaning of that text. In prayer, bring him your expressions of thankfulness, considering the multitude of reasons for gratitude. Bring to him your sins. to so leave them at the foot of the cross. Come with your petitions, your prayers of intercession. Tell him your concerns and fears. The problems that you face. Your sorrows. Speak to him about your earthly sojourn, the difficulties and troubles that you face. Plead on behalf of your fellow saints, whom you know are struggling in various ways and for various reasons. But remember in all these things to approach him As one who longs to be taught, to be guided by his will, to live according to his word and to his glory, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is a model to further instruct us how to pray. In the next several weeks, God willing, we're going to have opportunity to consider that prayer. It's simple enough for even our young children to memorize and to understand. But as a model, it's also comprehensive. It covers everything. Touching every necessary aspect of prayer. And recognizing our needs as God's people. It reminds us that we pray as members of God's church. So that we don't look at prayer selfishly. It places God on the foreground. Reminding us that in all things we are to seek His name and His kingdom and His will. And then we also receive from the Lord's hand all that we need physically and spiritually as our faithful Father cares for us for Jesus' sake. May the Spirit guide us and the Lord bless us as we give our attention to the Lord's Prayer in the coming weeks, God willing. Amen. Gracious Father, when we come before thy word and consider the place of prayer in our lives, we are reminded how thou hast blessed us. And we are reminded how much we need the Thine instruction when it comes to prayer. Teach us, we pray, and receive us as we approach Thee in our prayers. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.